Welcome again to Lakeshore. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Smyrna Campus, we're glad you guys are with us today. Welcome. If you're connecting with us online, listening to the podcast later, we're so glad you found us there. We are starting the new year today with a brand new series called 2020 Vision. We're so glad that you're here to be a part of that. Um, I want to thank Tammy for doing the video for us because part of what we're going to be talking about in this series is how we want to move forward as a church and help people find that connecting place, that place where you are connected and belong and are involved in the life of of God's family, the church. We want to help you with that process. There was an old doctor who got bored in retirement. He decided to open his own medical clinic. One reason was he didn't like the new doctor in their town, didn't like his attitude and approach and how condescending he was to the old doctor that had retired. So Dr. Geezer was his name. He opened a new medical clinic, and he advertised it this way. Get your treatment for $500. If you're not cured, you get $1,000 back. You can imagine that attracted a lot of people wanting to check it out. Well, the young doctor in town uh, was curious. He didn't think this guy had any business doing a clinic like that and certainly not advertising like that. So uh, he decided that the the guy didn't know beans about what he was doing. So he wanted to to get $1,000 off of this guy and prove how wrong he was. So he went to Dr. Geezer's clinic and he said, Dr. Geezer, I've lost all taste in my mouth. Can you please help me? Well, Dr. Geezer talked to his nurse and said, please bring the medicine from box 22 and put three drops in the young doctor's mouth. The young doctor just gasped, ah, this is gasoline. He said, congratulations, you got your taste back. That'll be Well, the young doctor was just really annoyed now, so he returned a couple of days later with another plan to get his money. So he entered the clinic, and he said, I've lost my memory. I can't remember anything. So the doctor calls out, nurse, bring medicine from box 22. Put three drops in Dr. Young's mouth. Dr. Young said, oh, no, don't you do that. That's gasoline. He said, congratulations, you got your memory back. (laughs) That'll be $500. Well, after losing $1,000, he comes back after several more days. He gets into the clinic, and he says, Listen, my eyesight has become really weak. I cannot see anything. Dr. Geezer said, Well, I don't have any medicine for that, so here's your $1,000 back. And he hands Dr. Young a $10 bill. (laughs) Dr. Young quickly yells, Hey, this is only $10. He said, Congratulations, you got your vision back. That'll be $500, please. Having good vision is important, isn't it? And for those of you that don't, you know the struggle that it can be when your vision's not what it needs to be. And the same thing is true for the church. A church that has good vision, we can really direct ourselves. And when I say the church, remember, I'm not talking about just the corporate entity, the church. I'm talking about us as individuals. If we have our vision where it needs to be and the clarity of the vision we need to have, then it can really set us on the right course for our lives. And God wants us to have clear vision individually and corporately together as a church. About five or six years ago, I read a book by Larry Osborne called Mission Creep. And in that book, creep doesn't mean a bad person in that book. It means we tend to creep off course gradually over time as churches. 
We don't mean to. There's no evil intent behind it. It just happens that the longer we exist as a church and the longer we go down that path of, of doing what we're supposed to do as a church, it's easy for us to get a little off course. And if you get a little off course for a long time, you can end up way, way off course. In the book, he, he gave this story, and I researched it. It's a true story that on May 10th, 1869, there were crews from the Central Pacific and the Union Pacific Railroads converged at a summit in northwest Utah. Their purpose was to connect their two railroads into the first transcontinental railroad. Starting from the east, one company, and starting from the west, the other company, they had successfully navigated their way across the country to an agreed-upon meeting point where they would drive the final golden spike into the ground, effectively reducing coast-to-coast -coast travel from an arduous six months to a mere week. It was a phenomenal feat of engineering. It had taken six years to complete. You might think that the key to their success was skilled engineering or cartography or a detailed blueprint, but you'd be wrong. They certainly had incredibly skilled engineering. They had the best maps available, but the real key to their success was something else. It was their ability to constantly make mid-course corrections along the way. You see, there's no way they could follow a detailed route. The maps of that day were too primitive. They were confronted with a constant barrage of unforeseen obstacles, tunneling challenges, unstable soil, harsh weather. They had to constantly change their plans in light of their realities and their mission. Their success wasn't due to the clarity of their plan. It was due to the clarity of their vision. Everyone on both teams knew where they were headed. They knew that no matter what, they had to meet up at some future point with their rails perfectly aligned. Otherwise, all of their hard work, their tunnels, their bridges, and miles of rail would be for nothing. The church is not all that different, he said. We, too, have a mission to reach the lost and mature the saints for the glory of God. And like the crews that built that first transcontinental railroad, we also face a constant barrage of obstacles and or unforeseen challenges that can easily push us off course. If we're willing to constantly readjust our methods and priorities and programs to align with the mission, then we'll hit the mark. But if we stubbornly stick to yesterday's route, We'll end up laying lots of tracks without ever getting where we need to go. It doesn't take much to get off course. Even a mere one degree variance makes a huge difference. That's why it's so important that we maintain a ruthless focus and devotion to our primary mission and a willingness to do whatever it takes to realign with it or it won't be long until we're headed off in the wrong direction without even knowing it. Imagine if you're assigned to stripe the sideline of the local high school football field for the big game. If you're out of whack by just one degree, you'll be out of alignment over five feet by the time you get to the far end zone. Even if you're just one-tenth of a degree off, you'd still be out of alignment by half a foot or more, and that might not seem like much, but on a close play at the pylon, it could become a game changer. Now stretch that subtle shift over a longer distance. A flight from San Francisco to Los Angeles would miss the airport by six miles at a one-degree variance. A seemingly tiny one-tenth of a degree mistake would put your plane in the Pacific Ocean over a half mile off course. When it comes to alignment and mission, little things matter. That's what this series is all about.
Jesus shared his vision for the church. It's crystal clear. It's not the least bit ambiguous. We are to make disciples among all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he commanded. He prayed that we would be unified in doing it. Now, to do that, we have to align and constantly realign our churches, our ministries, and ourselves toward that task. So today we begin this series with the message, Clarifying the Vision. I want us to all understand the vision God has for His church. If we can clarify that, then we can set the course. We can, we can design the plan and the programs to line up with the vision that He has clearly given to the church. And in that vision, I want us to look especially at two primary passages that we use to set the vision for Lakeshore Christian Church. The first part, the first passage we're going to look at clearly commands us to make disciples. That's the first thing on your outline today. We are clearly instructed by Jesus to be people who make disciples. It's often called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28. We're going to start with verse 18 and what is labeled usually the Great Commission. Now, I want us to read this out loud together. We don't always do that, but to help us focus here and get it clear in our minds, I want us to read it out loud together. Uh, Smyrna Campus, join with us. Read this out loud. Let's put it up on the screen. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18. Here's what it says. Let's say it out loud. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't think there's any doubt that you and I can understand what Jesus just commanded us to do. It's really broken down into two steps primarily. The first step is to go and make disciples. Everybody understand that that's what Jesus commanded? Now, who is he commanding to do that? He's not talking to a corporate entity. He's talking to individual followers. And he's saying to individual Christ followers, I want you, I'm commanding you, I'm instructing you to go and do what? Make disciples. And yet the average Christ follower makes no other disciples in their lifetime. How can we be so far off course? It's because we gradually got off course. You see, you don't notice it when it happens gradually. Until later on, you look at it and you say, I know what that says, but here's, here's how we're living our Christian lives. It's all about just attending church on Sundays and we feel like we nailed it because we attend services on Sunday. And we've not made any disciples in our lifetime. And we've misunderstood even this. As clear as it is, we've, we've taken it and we've drifted off course. You know what we've done? We've decided to go and make disciples means you've got to go somewhere else to do it. You've got to go like to some country where they don't have the church or Christianity. They haven't heard about it yet. And you go there and make disciples. Yet the United States has become the third largest mission field in the world while we've gotten off course, thinking that we've got to go somewhere else to make disciples. And instead, we've made church all about serving me 
my wants, my desires, my needs, my preferences. I want them to cater to me. That's what we've made church all about. I'll show up if you do everything the way I want you to and minister to me and cater to me the way I want you to. You have the programs I want. You have the facilities I want. You have the staff that I want. Uh, you get a taller preacher, whatever it is. So, so you meet all of my needs, and then I can say I'll attend your church, and that's what my following Jesus is about. I attend that church. But Jesus said it's about making disciples, right? When he says go and make disciples, in the original language, we don't have a way to word it well in English, but what he's saying is go and as you're going, be making disciples. Are any of you going anywhere today? Yeah, you are. You came here. Where are you going after you leave here? You're not going to stay here. We lock up after all the services are over. You're not going to stay here. You're going to go somewhere else. Some of you are going to go eat. Some of you are going to go home. Some of you have activities planned where you're going to do stuff with people. You're going somewhere. And the command is, as you're going wherever you go as a Christ follower, you go with the purpose of doing what? Making disciples wherever you go. That's not hard to understand, is it? That's pretty clear. Everywhere we go, you got a job? I hope you do. You should, unless you're retired, right? Even if you're retired, you need to be busy doing stuff. Don't just sit around and do nothing. So as you're going about your job or your retirement hobbies or activities, whatever you're doing, you go with a purpose. Now, people always say, I'm just waiting for God to reveal my purpose in life. He's already revealed it. Have you read the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. That's the purpose of every Christ follower in the world. Go and make disciples. Now, he says, you don't have to go somewhere else to do that. We relegated this in the church we, with mission creep, with our, our drift away from the vision. What we've done is we've relegated this to the professionals to do it, and especially the ones we send off to some other country to do it, and we support them and we give them money so that they can go there and make disciples over there. They need disciples over there in that country. Meanwhile, the U.S. has less and less and less followers of Jesus. Because Christ followers in the U.S. stopped making disciples the way God has commanded us to make disciples. You see, we're all called to have this vision clear in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts that God's purpose for us is to be disciple makers if we follow Jesus Christ. If we say we're connected to Christ, belong to Him, love Him, then His marching orders to us is to go and make disciples of all people. And I love the way he says to do it for all nations, right? All people everywhere. We don't get to handpick which ones. We're really good sometimes at predetermining who would be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not even going to talk to them. I know they wouldn't be interested. But that person, oh, I like them, and they're, they're influential, and they've got money, and they've got a high position in the community. Man, if we could bring them to Christ, look at all the good they could do. And we kind of select which ones we think would be the greatest potential as followers of Jesus and the most receptive as followers of Jesus. And we start being selective. And who we, if we do even make the effort, we are selective about whom we make the effort with. When it comes to making disciples, we don't just go to everybody, everywhere, all the time with an effort to make disciples. 
You see how you can drift off course? He says, make disciples of all nations. And he says part of that process is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if we're making disciples, we'll be doing what with those people? Baptizing them. That's part of making a disciple is baptizing them. People like to separate it out. One of the drifts we've seen in the church, it happened in Europe and now it's brought to America, is we've separated these things like they're different things, all right? Getting saved, getting baptized, and becoming a member of the church. We made it like those are three different things. But in Scripture, you know what all three of those things are? One thing. It's becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. All of those things are one thing. If someone is led to Jesus, he commands them to be baptized. So what will they do if they're going to be a disciple of Jesus? They'll be baptized. And if they're baptized, it says in Scripture that he adds them to the church. So they have to do anything else to become a member now? No, now they're added to the church by him. You see, we get, we get off track when we think we get to decide when we add somebody to our church. It's not our church. It's his. He adds people to his church, not us. So we don't get to make that decision. He does. There were actually churches, there's still a few left in America, where they voted on somebody after they asked to become a member to see if they would let them become a member or not. They voted whether or not they accepted them as a member or not. Some churches are still doing that. We're not in that position of authority. We don't even have that role. We shouldn't even try to have that role in the church. We don't get to decide and determine who God lets in his church and who he doesn't let in to his church. He adds them to the church. So when we go and make disciples, here's what we'll be doing. We'll be leading people to make that decision that they want to follow Jesus. And if they make that decision, they follow him in baptism where they start that new life. And he has already then added them to the church and connected them to the body at large, which means they're now our brother or sister in Christ. And that's the whole process. And it's one process, not three different things that happen. But we've drifted. <laughs> we've gotten away from the clear teaching and i'm not trying to condemn any other church we still mess up too at lakeshore we don't always think clearly about this so we've got to that's why we're trying to realign again and talk about our vision again and get back on track again we've got to understand that's all one step when somebody comes to follow jesus it's not three different steps when somebody decides to follow jesus so he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means by his authority and the, Father, uh, and the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he says there's a second half to it, and that is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So getting them baptized and designated them now by God as a follower, a disciple, is that the end game? No. Once they become a disciple, you know what a disciple is? A disciple is a disciplined student of a teacher whose goal now is to learn the teaching and apply it to their lives to grow up to be like the teacher. That's what a disciple is. We get the word discipline from that word. It's a disciplined follower of a teacher. What we started doing in churches in America is counting decisions like that was the end game. How many decisions did you have for Christ at that meeting? How many decisions did you have for Christ this year at that church? We had a bunch. A bunch of people decided not to come back. All kinds of decisions. We had people decide they didn't like us. They wanted another church. We had a bunch of people decide that, that yeah, this was where they wanted to be. We had a, 
you know, there's all kinds of decisions. There's a difference in deciding that what the Bible says about Jesus is true and deciding to be a disciple of Jesus. Those are not the same. Instead of counting decisions, we need to be counting disciples. Because the command is not to get people to make decisions. The command is to make what? Disciples. How many people started following Jesus this year? Seriously, disciplined, following Jesus this year. That's the command Jesus gave to the church. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. That means some of the members still need conversion in most of our churches. Because just showing up on Sundays occasionally doesn't mean you're a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, does it? Yet we're commanded to make disciples of Jesus. So he wants us to continue that process of teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now that gives us some good indication. Does that mean as, somebody, as soon as somebody decides and gets baptized, now they're going to do everything that Jesus says to do exactly right? Is that what that means? No. It means it's an ongoing teaching process. If you spent the first week of your child's life teaching that child and then they didn't get it and you quit after the first week, would that be a good way to raise up your child? No. What needs to happen? The teaching needs to be continual, doesn't it? And every time you think you're making some progress, they will teach you that there's a setback along the way, right? You thought they were getting it, and they didn't quite have it yet. So you have to keep working at it the whole time. And when somebody comes to Jesus, they are a brand-new baby in Christ. So what needs to happen there? They need to be uh, uh, involved in this effort of learning and growing and maturing the rest of their lives. The teaching continues from that point on. That's why at Lakeshore we're committed to being a teaching church. This is exactly what Jesus says we're supposed to do. Yes, we want to make disciples, but we want the part of making disciples is the ongoing teaching of those disciples so they learn what Jesus says and they don't just learn it for head knowledge. What does a disciple do? He doesn't just put the knowledge in his head. He actually applies it to his life. He's a disciplined follower of those teachings in their lives. So, so our goal is not even just to have classes where you have a whole bunch of head knowledge as a Christian. It's great to have classes. We, we have good Bible classes with good teachers here. But if all we're doing is imparting knowledge and it's not changing and transforming people's lives, then we have not obeyed the command to make disciples. The Great Commission, we failed at it. If lives aren't being transformed into disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. So we start with making disciples. And getting saved is not the same thing. Getting baptized is not the same thing. It involves those things, but it includes that ongoing commitment as a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we want to be involved in bringing them to Jesus, baptizing them into Jesus, and then teaching them to follow Jesus. That's what it means when it says make disciples. Go and make disciples disciples of Jesus Christ. Now the second thing that I believe Jesus is very clear about in scripture that we want to get our vision clear on too is something we've messed up on very much in the church and that is he wants us to do that in a way that promotes unity in the body of Christ. He wants us to promote unity in the body of Christ. There's a great prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 
In the first part of this prayer, the first 19 verses, he's praying especially for those disciples that are right there with him at that time. But in verse 20, he shifts the prayer and he starts praying for those in the future who would begin to believe in and follow Jesus. Here's what he prays for them. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that are there right now. He's talking to the Father here. My prayer also, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be, what's that word? One, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, and he says there's a reason for it, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be, what's that word? One, as we are, what's that word? One. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, what's that word? Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. See, Jesus' prayer was for them to go and make disciples, but then he prayed for those disciples that are going to be made, and he prayed something specific for those who would be made disciples of Jesus, that all of them would be what? One. As he and the Father are one. Now, how are he and the Father one? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's absolute, complete unity there. Okay? So he wants Christ's followers, those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, to function as disciples in unity as one. We've got a saying here at Lakeshore. You know what it is. Those of you that have been around a while, given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess it up. Yeah. We human beings, given enough time and opportunity, we can mess up anything, even the church, even the clear command, even the distinctly clear prayer that Jesus prayed, we can still mess it up. And that's what we've done with the church. You see, he said, go and make disciples. Who are we making disciples of? Jesus. He's the teacher that we're making disciples of, right? So if everybody becomes a disciple of Jesus, there is a unifying factor to that. Everybody has at their head. Everybody is committed to. Everybody is following one. It's Jesus. Okay? But what we've done in our mission creep and our getting off course is we've decided to make them Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or whatever else. You know, we've got... Just in the Baptist church alone, there are over 25 different divisions that are clearly designated among the Baptist churches. And there's more than that, really, but clearly established divisions in the Baptist church. You see what we've done? We've taken Jesus' prayer for unity and completely disobeyed it. We've divided up in all these different groups and denominations and sects and cults, and we've stopped being one in Christ. Meanwhile, the church in America, as many of you have seen some of the stats, and, and some of the stats in some ways, the church is in decline in America today. Now, there's some pockets that are growing, like independent churches like ours are growing, non-denominational churches are growing, but, but among denominations, there is a great decline in the growth of those churches. And notice what he said. He said there's a connection between being one and the world believing in Jesus. There's a connection between his followers having unity and the world accepting our testimony about Jesus. Go back to that verse again. Look at what he says. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
Then later on he says, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. One of the things that hurts our witness and our testimony as followers of Jesus more than anything else is the division we have allowed to come into his church. What kind of testimony is that to a world that we're trying to reach and convince that Jesus is Lord of life and everybody should be committed to Jesus when we can't even be in unity together in our commitment to follow Jesus? I'm so thankful that, that we recognize at Lakeshore and many other churches like this, we're certainly not the only one, and I'm so thankful I see this all over the world. We've recognized the fact that man created the division, not God. We are responsible for the division of the church, not God. This is not God's will. It's not what Jesus wanted. It's not what Jesus prayed for. And I'm convinced of this as your pastor. I don't believe Jesus prayed for something that he didn't expect us to do. I don't think he prayed we would do this and then sit back and say, but if you don't, no problem. I don't think that's what Jesus does. I think when Jesus prayed for this, he expected us to do this. He expected us to practice this the way he prayed that we would practice this. And that's why I love being a pastor of a church like Lakeshore. Here's why. Lakeshore is a part of a movement that swept across America in the early 1800s. You see, the church in America started out with division in it. The European settlers who came here brought the division of the church with them. It was already divided in Europe. So they brought different denominations and Christian groups here with them when they settled this country. And so the church in America was started with division already firmly set in it. But there was a movement that sprang up, and I believe it was by, by God's leading and God's spirit that he prompted it in some leaders' hearts to break away from all that division, that denominationalism, and say, here's what we're going to commit to. We're going to be Christians only. We're just going to call people to come to Jesus and follow the teachings of Jesus, and that's all we're going to be. We're not going to have any other name, any other organization, any other title, any other uh, organizational division as a denomination or anything like that. We're just going to be Christians and point people to Jesus. It started in the early 1800s and it has spread all over the country and now all around the world where independent congregations like this one here at Lakeshore are just lifting up Jesus and calling people to follow him. That's exactly what Jesus prayed for. But it's more than that. You see, we could all say, all right, we'll just be Christians and we won't divide in those different groups and we could still have in America what we have, which is a greatly divided church even without denominational division. You see, we've got the black church and the white church and the Hispanic church and the Asian church, and we've divided up into all those different groups once again. Even more division, not just denominational, but now racial division set in the church as well. And many of you know, because you were part of a church like that over the years, where it was you know, pretty much an all-white church or an all-black church or whatever ethnic group or whatever, it was just for that. It was designed for that. That's how they function. They even advertised that and invited people to be part of that. It's all around us right here in Nashville area, too. All around us, every Sunday, we divide up into our racial groups and ethnic groups to go to our church meetings and assemblies. And you know what they celebrate? Once or twice a year, they'll say, a unity service. We'll bring those congregations together. Have a special unity service. Friends, getting together in the same building once or twice a year is not the unity Jesus prayed for. It's not even close to the unity that Jesus prayed for. 
And that's why I want you to understand how special this place is and what God's doing in this place. Because in this place, we're certainly not perfect in unity in any way. But when you look at the makeup of the family of God at Lakeshore, you see all races, so many different ethnicities. And we don't have separate services for any of them. We're all together as one. That's the prayer of Jesus right there. Now, that unity doesn't mean we all look alike, sound alike, talk alike. That's not unity. That's uniformity. That's not what Jesus prayed for. He prayed for unity. Unity means it's messy. Have you ever noticed well, it sounds like it shouldn't be messy? You say unity. Doesn't that sound great? But nothing is messier than unity. My wife and I have unity in our marriage. We've been married 40 Three years now, I think it is. I lose track because it's been so great for so long, right? <laughs> had to get that in there, you know, cover myself uh, in case I had the rear wrong. But here's the deal. We are unified as husband and wife. It doesn't mean we agree on everything and that we, we, are, we never have disagreements. We never have struggles and we never have discussions. We don't argue. We discuss things. But, but right? Unity means that we stick together. And we work through those things. We love each other even when there's those disagreements. We know we can disagree and it's still a safe place to do that. And we can still be together even if there's disagreement. Right? We're safe with that. That's unity. And that's what the church needs. Friends, the world does a better job with this than the church does. That was forced on the world. They had to make laws and relegate it to being forced to, to have everybody together and stuff like that. But, but they have done it in a way uh, that it was forced on them, and therefore there's not always the outcome from it that, that we should have because it was so forced and contrived by laws. Now, I think the laws needed to happen. I think they, everybody had to be pushed that way. But here's the thing. Even that didn't really produce unity a lot of times because unity starts in here and not out there. It starts in our hearts. You see, if our number one commitment is to Christ and loving Christ, and if you love Christ, you love others that are connected to Christ, that's what produces the unity. It's the love for God, love for Christ, that produces the unity that we need to have. So Lakeshore is a part of the restoration movement. We're part of that effort to bring people together in Christ. We're not trying to make people a certain uh, denomination. When we try to bring people to Jesus, we're just trying to bring them to Jesus. When we teach well, what we want them to understand and learn and grow and follow, we're simply teaching the words, the lessons that Jesus says in his word need to be taught. If we just stick to that, we can maintain unity in the body of Christ if we quit trying to promote our own group above any other group. You see, we're not trying to tear down any other group. I'm not condemning anybody if they are Baptist or Methodist and Lutheran. I'm just wanting to bring people to Jesus. How about you? You see, if they're brought to Jesus, that's where, that's where life is found, as God intended life to be. It's not about what group you promoted. It's about promoting Jesus above all. So... We need to understand that we are to make disciples. And while making disciples, we're also be supposed to be promoting unity. But here at Lakeshore, I want you to understand something else. Uh, I'm a leader here as a pastor and elder. We have an elder team here that gives oversight to the church. And here's what I know. We're not as smart as God. Never have been, never will be. Don't claim to be. 
But here's what I know. God knows that about me already. See, when he called me to be a pastor, he already factored in my stupidity. When he called me to do that, he, he factored that in. He knew what he was getting. He knew what he was working with, right? When he called you to follow Jesus, he factored in yours too. He already knew you're going to struggle with some stuff, right? You're not already there. He already knew that about you and about me. So, so here's what he did and what we try to do here at Lakeshore. We need to keep it simple so that everybody can do it. We need to keep it simple. Over the years, the church has drifted into having all these programs and, 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 and things you had to do and follow it this way. And if you didn't do it this way, you weren't really a Christian. And if you didn't attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, then you're not really a disciple of Jesus, even though that's nowhere in Scripture. We've had, we, you've got to be in this program or in this group or in this uh, ministry or, or this program. You have to have this program at your church or you're not really a Christian church. Right? We've developed all this Stuff that we've added to the simple make disciples and teach them to follow Jesus. We've gotten away from it. And so here at Lakeshore, as we're casting and recasting and realigning our vision, here's what I want us to do. I want us to keep it as simple as Jesus keeps it. I want us to stop making it more complicated than it ever needed to be. It doesn't mean there's only one way to do this. That's my whole point. If you keep it simple, it means there's, there's allowance for the fact that some churches may do it different than this one, and that's okay. As long as they're not going against clear teaching of Scripture, I don't care what methodology they use. If they're making disciples, that's the bottom line. So here at Lakeshore, moving forward, we want to keep it as simple as we possibly can. Now, we decided this a long time ago. We came up with this vision statement for the church. A vision statement is only as good as the people actually living it out. But I want you to know the vision statement. It starts with the first thing in our vision statement is we exist to connect people to Christ and each other. That's the bottom line starting point for Lakeshore Christian Church and why we exist. We exist to connect people to Christ and to each other as followers of Christ. And the reason we made that number one is because that's what Jesus made number one for the church, right? Making disciples. That's what it means to connect them to Jesus and teach them to follow Jesus, right? It's making disciples, connecting them. That's how we worded that. In Acts 2, verse 41, in Acts 2, you read about the first people becoming Christians. The, the beginning of the church is recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says about those first 3,000 that were baptized. Remember, he said, make disciples by doing what? Baptizing them. It says 3,000, about 3,000 were baptized that day. And then in verse 41, it says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So who added them and what did he add them to? God added them. And what did he add them to? The number of followers of Jesus Christ, those are the disciples. That's the beginning of the church right there, okay? So from the very beginning, what were Christ followers supposed to be doing? Making disciples. In Acts 2, what did they start doing? Making disciples, baptizing them, and God connected them to each other in the church when they were baptized into Christ. In verse 47, it says more about those same people. It says they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if they got saved, what were they also? They were added to the church. You see, there's not separate things there. Those go together. You don't get saved and then later on get baptized to be a member of the church. They never did it that way in the New Testament, ever. It was all one and the same. 
Becoming a disciple, getting baptized is part of that. Being added to the church happens when you're baptized. And who adds you to the church? Not a voting member of the church. Who adds you to the church? God does. He adds you to the church. All right. So we want to follow that plan. Here's the cool thing, too. Talking about the unity that Jesus prayed for. A little later on in Acts chapter 11, it's talking about the, the, the number kept growing. More people were being added by becoming followers of Jesus. And they're called disciples. And in verse, Acts 11 verse 26, it says the disciples were called what? Christians first in Antioch. <laughs> Those of you at the Smyrna campus, you came in after that. But that's okay. <laughs> now, it wasn't this Antioch. We know that. But isn't that cool? You see, if you're going to have unity, you can't all of a sudden say, well, I'm a Baptist Christian or a Methodist Christian or a Lutheran Christian or Presbyterian. That, that creates division. Just the name itself that you identify with separates you from others who aren't wearing that name. But if we all wear one name, whose name? The name of Christ. Will that help us with our unity? Absolutely. See, God kind of knows what he's doing with his church. It's simple. It's not complicated at all. Sometimes we think simple means that's not very deep. But friends, some of the deepest things are the simple things. You can't go any deeper than following Jesus and wearing his name. That's as deep as it gets. Keep it simple. Connect people to Christ and each other through Christ. The second thing we do, we commit to here, we got three things. Connect people to Christ and each other. We exist also to grow people to maturity in Christ. You see, he said, make disciples and then do what with those disciples? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's not complicated. It's, not, it's simple. He says, your role then, once you bring them to Jesus, they get baptized, right? God adds them to the church. So what do we do with them then? Make sure they tithe. That's not what he said, right? Though that's a good thing. That's part of following the teachings of Jesus, right? What did he say? Make sure the attendance is counted every week and you count decisions to report back to your headquarters. That's not what he said. He said, when they come to follow Jesus, what's your job then? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the growing up as Christians part. That's the maturing process. That's, that's growing up and not staying babies anymore. You know those same Christians in Acts 2? It says in Acts 2.42, they were devoted to four things. Listen to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And you know what we devote to here at Lakeshore? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread around this table, and prayer. That's not complicated. Four things. Can you remember four things? Maybe not, but if we repeat them a lot. Can you remember four things? The apostles' teaching, that just means teaching Scripture to people. That's, the, that's where the apostles' teaching is found. We teach God's Word. We're committed to that at Lakeshore. It's a primary part of who we are. Teach God's Word. That's why my preaching style is a teaching style. That's why we have life groups that do Bible study together, like you heard Tammy talking about, that people can be connected to and involved in. It's the teaching ministry to grow people up to maturity in Christ. Now, there are different ways to do it, but, but this is how we're doing it here, right? All right. The third thing we commit to is to serve people in the name of Christ. You see, a disciple is supposed to grow up to be like the teacher, right? 
Isn't that what a disciple is supposed to do? That's the goal? Is you're not just filling your head with head knowledge or what that teacher said. You're actually trying to grow up to be like the teacher. Well, what was our teacher like that we are disciples of? He was a servant, wasn't he? He was a servant. Look at Mark 10, verse 45. Jesus said these words. For even the Son of Man, a term he used for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the church in America is predominantly about coming to be served by the church. That's how we've gotten off course. We've made church about coming here to be served. And if the leaders don't do that the way we want them to, we'll find us one that will. Right? That's the church in America today. And we've done such a good job of planting churches that you've got a lot to choose from. You can't throw a rock around here without hitting one. They're all over the place. I'm sure you can find one that caters more to what you want. But you're not supposed to go there to be served. You're supposed to follow Jesus to serve others. That's what being a Christ follower is. Does that involve attending church on Sundays? Absolutely. But is it limited to that? Absolutely not. should never be limited to that. We're to serve people in the name of Christ. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. He, he understands what an honor it is. Here's what he says. We are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He painted us. He, he designed us. He formed us, the scripture says, in our mother's womb, by the way. That he knitted us together there in our mother's womb a certain way. Here's what he says the purpose for that is. He created us in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, this is a compliment. This is a huge compliment that God designed you and designed me with certain specific work that he planned in advance for you to be doing while you were here on this earth. Isn't that amazing? That the God of the universe designed you individually with your gifts, your, your abilities, your resources at your disposal, the training that you've been able to get. He designed all of that so that you could serve others as a follower of Jesus, not so that you could be served by the followers of Jesus. You understand the difference there? Now, here's the cool thing. When we do these things, guess who gets more of the benefit of it than anybody else? The people doing them. When you follow Jesus and you learn and you grow and you serve other people, you know what it does for your life? It makes you happier than you've ever been when you live life like that. Because you've got yourself out of the way. You've got your ego out of the way. You've got your selfishness out of the way. And now you're enjoying life because you're doing what God designed you to do when you serve other people. That's God's plan for the church. And that's why we keep it simple here at Lakeshore. Three words, say them after me. Connect, grow, serve. Can you remember those three? We'll teach you the other four things later. Let's do it one more time. Connect, grow, serve. We're going to stick to that as a church. I know there are a lot of ways to do it, but we're going to stick to connecting and growing and serving because here's the thing the church in the new testament did those three things and the church in the new testament turned the world upside down for jesus they made the impact that god wanted the church to make and they brought people to jesus when you read about the church in the book of acts you know what you find there were three thousand to start with 
And then here's what happens. God added to their number daily those that were being saved. You know how you add people daily? Christians don't wait to show up for church on Sunday to see if somebody comes forward. What are they doing as they go through their lives all week long? Making disciples. I want to close with this last one just real quick. I want to hit on it. And we're going to talk more about it over these next few weeks. This vision, we believe at Lakeshore, is best accomplished through life groups. We believe it's best accomplished through life groups, this connecting and growing and serving. Remember Acts 2.42, those 3,000 that were baptized, what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And you know what it says about them? They were going from house to house doing this together. They were living life together and including these things in their daily lives together. How does that happen? It happens in smaller group settings, not in the big corporate gathering of the church. Now, it can happen on one level in the corporate gathering. But you know what it says about the assembly of the church in the New Testament? It's for encouraging and building each other up. That's what the assembly is for. Living out the Christian life can't happen for an hour or two on Sunday morning. It's not accomplished in an hour or two on Sunday morning. It's lived out in community together all during the week. How does that happen? By being connected to other Christians in a group that's doing that together. That's how that happens. It's the only way for that to happen. There is no substitute for that. There is no replacement for that. And you could sit back and just say, I'm just going to attend on Sundays. And Pastor Randy's such a good teacher. I love his jokes. We could show up and hear a good joke. If I can remember it, I'll tell it to somebody else this week. We'll have fun. And, and think you're living the Christian life that way. And that's not the way it works. It's not. Now, coming together and listening to this teaching and being encouraged is part of the way it works. You shouldn't forsake, the Bible says, the assembly. But living it out happens the rest of the time. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it describes worship not as attending church on Sunday mornings. It's the giving of your life, as a, giving of yourself as a living sacrifice all the time. That's your spiritual act of worship. It's not just attending a service on Sundays. So at Lakeshore, we're committed to the vision being accomplished through life groups here at this church. Here's why I think that's the only way, the best way. There are other ways to try it, but why I think this is the best way to do it. You know why? It's the way Jesus did it. You know who my hero is? It's not Superman. It's not Batman. I like Superman and Batman. Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. You know who my hero is? Jesus. It's Jesus. And you know how Jesus did discipleship? Small group. It started that way. Look in Luke 6, verse 12. Early on in Jesus' ministry, right? He's just been identified already now as, as possibly the Messiah. It says, on one of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So he's getting guidance and direction from the Father. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. How do you like this identifying thing, who became a traitor, right? Do you think Jesus knew Judas was going to be a traitor? Yeah, but what did he do? He put them in a small group. And he loved them. And he served them. 
even though he knew he wouldn't always do the right thing, he would do a terrible thing. You see, the life of following Jesus happens in smaller groups. Within that small group, you know what it says? He had three in that group that were even closer than the others. Peter, James, and John. He was closer to them. And within those three, he had one that was really the closest one. John, the disciple whom he loved. You see how this is lived out by the example of Jesus? Understand the importance of what he was doing. He's preparing a group of people to start the church in the world he was totally dependent on their success. So how does he prepare them to do the work God prepared in advance for them to do? He does it in a small group. Doing life with them every day. Teaching them, setting an example for them, praying with them regularly. That happens in groups that are smaller than this, friends. And it happens more than just an hour or two on Sunday mornings. It can't happen any other way but in doing life together in smaller group settings. We've got somebody here. Uh, we do every Sunday, but here again this Sunday, we've got somebody out in the lobby. We've got a life group section out in the lobby there near the cafe where you could go and get more information and give us your information. If you're not in a life group now, we want to help you get connected to a life group because, friends, here at Lakeshore, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to assemble on Sundays for encouragement and instruction, and then we're going to live out ministry through our life groups. And we don't want you to be left out. We want you to be part of that because we're going to keep it simple. We're just going to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs to take that first step. The first step is to what? Remember the three C's? What's the first one? Connect. Maybe you haven't connected yet. You can't grow and serve until you do what? You got to connect first. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs to connect to Christ and his church others who follow Jesus. We're going to have a time of invitation now where you have that opportunity if you just come up front. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that today we've been reminded of the simple, clear call that you gave to the church to go and make disciples and to be unified as your followers. Father, help us here at Lakeshore. We want to be that church. We want to fulfill that that prayer that Jesus prayed in unity, but we also want to be effective in the disciple-making part of your great commission. For somebody here today or somebody listening online today who, who has never made that step of connection, I pray that today your spirit would prompt them to take those steps they need to take to get connected, to be baptized if they haven't already been baptized, to become connected to a family of followers they live here in this area, we pray they would connect with one of our campuses. If they live somewhere else, Father, I pray they would connect with a church family there. But Father, we can't be disciples without being connected to you. And being connected to you means we must be connected to others who follow you too. And Father, I pray that we would take seriously your command that all of us be making disciples and serving others the way Jesus served. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.